millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Kia ora and welcome from RNZ National. Here's Our Changing World with me, Alison Balance. I'm sorry to rain on your festive season parties, but here's some sobering science about drinking and driving. Road accident statistics already tell us that the two don't mix well. And now, two psychologists at the Traffic and Road Safety Research Unit at the University of Waikato have been drilling down to find out exactly what happens when we have a few drinks at a party and then get behind the wheel. We'll also be finding out that there might be some good reasons to use your mobile phone while you're driving, although generally it's not recommended. The key to Nicola Starkey and Samuel Charlton's research about driver behaviour is a real car, which just happens to be parked in their lab in front of some very large video screens. An awful lot of driving-related research, people tend to use quite small, almost like desktop simulators, and people drive quite differently in those to driving in a real car. We see participants get in our car. When you get in a real car, people automatically put their seatbelts on, sit with their arm out the window, and they actually feel like they're driving a real car. So I think it's really important that we do have a full-size car that looks and feels like a car rather than just a desktop computer. We run this simulator in several different modes. We can run this in sort of a virtual reality mode where we can create the world around it and try things uh, that have never been tried before or that would be too expensive or unsafe to do in the real world. But we can also run it in a video mode where they, they drive a familiar road using their accelerator and brake to change the speed and they have some limited steering. And we can do that either, either as a series of clips, which gets them around the country very quickly, or as a longer drive, continuous drive, which we would then pop them into one of the university cars and go out and drive in real life and compare the two. Now you're in the middle of firing this up, so what does that involve? I'm going to start it off with with one of our virtual worlds, and this was for an experiment where we were trying out a smart app, a smartphone app that reminded people of the speed they should be going and warned them if they were going too fast. And, and this was of interest because we don't know whether, whether smartphone devices are all distracting or potentially if we could design them to put in the car where there would be a, a benefit. So we know that um, using a cell phone while driving is quite distracting and we also know that it's actually not just the handheld nature of the phone that makes it distracting. There's a huge amount of evidence that the cognitive distraction of having a phone conversation whilst you're driving a car also impairs your driving performance. It leads to much slower reaction times. But there has been a huge increase in the number of um, smartphone apps that are actually meant to assist drivers. So collision warning systems, speed-related information, route advisories to avoid traffic jams. And this work was funded by the New Zealand Transport Agency and they wanted to know whether these types of applications could actually be beneficial for drivers or whether they still produce quite distracting effects and impair driving performance. Let's go for a drive. We've got uh, about a 170-degree forward field of view, and we've got two rear-view mirrors, and we've got a functioning uh, speedometer, a functioning dashboard, and 
we just press on the accelerator and we're away through our our little world and so what we tried to do was design a representative world but not any particular world if you know what i mean now this looks very familiar because it's it's the coastline around uh, the bay of plenty it's an actual highway that is the geometry is the actual highway but we've modified it because we wanted some control over the the kinds of situations that the drivers would encounter in about a 30 minute drive so we've we've added a busy intersection and we've added a one lane bridge and we've added an overtaking lane where they wouldn't actually be uh, on the actual highway which is a a really nice thing you can do with virtual worlds <laughs> Well, I have to say the impression is that we are moving. It is very bizarre because if I look at those video screens, we're definitely driving down the road and my stomach lurches when we go around the corner. (laughs) And then I have that terrible feeling of disjunction when I look sideways and realise we're sitting perfectly stationary in a room. That's right. (laughs) That's right. I think a lot of people are really surprised how much they feel like they are in a real car. It's incredibly difficult getting out whilst the car's moving, which obviously you can, but it goes against all of your better instincts. You definitely do not want to open the door. And we quite frequently have people ask, do people actually drive like they do in a real car? And the answer is yes, they do. They tend to stick to the speed limit, tend to obey road rules, and I think that's hugely helped by the fact that it is a fully functioning car and you're just driving along a road. It feels very real, and people make the same mistakes they do on the road. So the study that you mentioned before using the smartphone app mm. to give people feedback about their speed limit, for instance, how did that go? Well, it was really interesting. We actually found that essentially the app helped people stick to the speed limit. There were no negative effects of this app. We'd set it up so that it would trigger to either flash or provide an audible warning each time people went into a new speed zone. So when they passed a speed limit sign on the road. I think we all know that when you drive, particularly if you're driving somewhere unfamiliar, posted speed limit signs only occur every now and again. And you can frequently be driving along a road wondering what on earth the correct speed limit is. We've all had that experience. One of the potential advantages of these apps is that they can constantly display the current speed limit so people will adhere to the speed limit. And our participants um, slowed down better into new speed zones and we actually found no destructive effects at all. Essentially, we decided it was beneficial and one of the biggest challenges would be to try and encourage people to actually use these types of apps as opposed to discourage their use. We set about to show that it is possible to design one and locate it in the car where it didn't cause undue visual distraction, where it didn't require long glances, didn't require a lot of interaction. For safe smartphone use, probably there are a couple of key things. One of the key things is actually where you're actually going to put your phone. If you're going to use your phone either to answer calls or using a map-based function, making sure the screen is within your line of sight and fairly close to where you're looking on the road is actually a key factor. And this is something that people frequently don't um, think about. And also, whatever function or app you're using, particularly the speed app that we designed, essentially the only display was actually um, a speed limit sign on the front screen. It's easy to see, easy to find. And it matches what you see ahead of you. It matches what you see on the road. So So in this little driving experience, because I like to say you are still nicely driving along, (laughs) we've just passed the 100k speed sign, so that, that would also register on your phone. Yep. That's right. Um, So certainly the way the device was set up in the car, yes, it would register on the phone. We've been exploring other ways of of 
telling people what the right speed limit was. Another another project we recently completed for the Automobile Association Research Foundation was using road markings uh, to designate the correct speed, and so we changed uh, the layout and color of the centerline markings, for example, and the edgeline markings, so that people would know that, oh, this is a 100-kilometer-an-hour road or a 60-kilometer-an-hour road or an 80-kilometer-an-hour road. That, too, was, was very successful. Well, I'm going to suggest that we pull over, pull over, <laughs> and um, so that you can stop driving, and then let's uh, have a chat about another thing that happens that's particularly relevant for this time of year, just before Christmas. So, thank you for the drive. Um, I enjoyed the scenery. So, alcohol and driving. I gather you've been doing a bit of work on that. We started by thinking about the what was then blood alcohol limit of, of what's called 0.08, which is high and higher than most countries. And we wanted to gauge what the improvement would be of a lower uh, blood alcohol limit. But along the way, we found some interesting things. And first of the things we found was that 0.05 it does not always have the same performance-impairing effects. Uh, it depends when you measure it. So 0.05 is the new legal limit for New Zealand. And very often, if we're, if we're at a sporting event or at a holiday party, we will manage our drinking so we, we are sure that we've spread it out and interspersed it with food so that we're under, this, uh, under the legal limit and we're not too impaired. What we found was, though, the longer that the alcohol's been in your bloodstream, even if it's the same uh, 0.05, after it's been there for three or four five hours, depending on how long the party was, uh, the impairment gets worse. That is, you are less and less able to drive well. We actually found this was really interesting because you think, uh, given the illegal blood alcohol limit of 0.05, you think actually, you know, if you're at 0.05, it's going to have the same effect. When you've been drinking for quite some time, you're, we actually think part of the reason for this effect is that when you've been drinking for some time, your body essentially gets used to the effects of alcohol being there. So when you first start drinking, if you think about having your first drink when you go to the bar or first glass of wine, it actually, you know, you can actually really feel its effects. After a while, you stop being able to feel that, and essentially your body adapts to alcohol being there. So we actually think that part of the reason why driving and performance affected is when it's decreasing is essentially you've almost forgotten that you're drunk. And actually when you feel drunk, you're actually going to pay more attention to the driving task and concentrate more. Whereas if you've been drinking for a while, you forget that actually you've had any alcohol, it's just something that you're used to. And actually you're not paying as much attention to the driving task as if your alcohol levels were increasing. There's also a, a disinhibition or a willingness to do things that you wouldn't otherwise uh, that comes with alcohol. So as you continue to get intoxicated, as you get higher levels of intoxication, you are actually more willing to drive than if you've just had one or two drinks. And, and probably your driving is much riskier as well, the kinds of chances you'll take and the kinds of maneuvers that you'll, you'll try. Have you actually been replicating party-like situations as well in your studies? We have, actually. So the first work that we did was just looking at almost... It was almost like a pharmacology study. We gave people quite set doses of alcohol to get to specific limits and then put them in the car to drive. And we were very aware that this isn't how people usually drink. So we ran another study where we had groups of participants coming to the lab um, we um, allocated people to two, one of two different levels of alcohol or a placebo control group. 
The participants didn't know which group they were in. And we actually breathalyzed them all a series of times. And over the space of about three or four hours, we got them to carry out driving tasks and various cognitive assessment tasks. We actually found from that research that essentially the people who weren't drinking, but who didn't know they weren't drinking, often rated themselves as being as feeling more drunk than the people who were in the 0.05 alcohol group. And we quickly realised that this means that you really are really very bad at judging your own impairment and essentially you can't tell whether or not you've been drinking, which is quite amazing. I find it incredible that you can have the placebo effect of getting drunk. Yes. <laughs> With consequences for the driving as well. So on some of the measures, the placebo uh, participants were behaving as drunk and driving as poorly as the participants who were drinking up to the level of 0.05 blood alcohol or 0.08 blood alcohol, the old legal limit. What are your measures for poor driving? Well, there's a whole range of them actually, but reaction time is usually not impaired. That is our ability to hit the brakes in sort of a panic situation when we see something, but our ability to not hit the brakes and not panic and then recover from something is greatly impaired. So we had cars that that might emerge from a side street ahead of the participant. And usually the participant could react in time and they would go over to the right lane uh, the other lane to uh, to go around them in, in sort of an orderly fashion, but then they wouldn't come back to the correct lane. They would perseverate on an error, and uh, and and generally they'd speed and spend more time over the speed limit than uh, than someone who wasn't intoxicated. Our scenario was that they had to avoid a car that had pulled out from a junction in front of them, and the people who had been drinking spent much more time on the opposite side of the road, which has clear safety implications. I mean, obviously it doesn't in the simulator, but on the real road it would. Um, Yes, they avoided the car. No, they didn't crash, but that was a consequence of the fact that we're in the simulator. There was no oncoming traffic, whereas in the real world the effects of that could be quite different. Did people have any sense of their own impairment? No. Actually, one of our questions asked how drunk they felt on a scale from, you know, so the most sober they've ever felt to the most drunk they've ever felt. And actually, the people in the highest alcohol group rated themselves as feeling more sober than the lower alcohol group. So essentially, the more you drink, the less able you are to judge your own impairment and also to ac- accurately judge how drunk you are. And that has consequences also for for this holiday season. If you're going to a party where there will be alcohol, you need to make the decision about who's going to drink, who's not, and how you're going to get home before you have that first drink, because that's one of the first things that's impaired is your judgment about how intoxicated you are. And so those decisions need to be made beforehand. And uh, young drivers under 20s that, that have recently had consequences of, uh, put on them for, for or essentially a zero tolerance for alcohol, they've adopted that very, very well, and they've significantly reduced the harm, the vehicular-related alcohol harm in their age group, something we could all sort of learn from. So they've got much better stats than us older drivers who think, oh, I can get away with a drink or two, I'll be fine. Well, or who are trying to judge it. You know, we often will drink and say, well, how do I feel? Am I intoxicated? Am I safe to drive? Yeah, I'm probably safe to drive because I've had this much food. Well, all of those sorts of rules of thumb we're finding out are wrong. 
I think one of the other interesting things we found out when we were doing our research was there are certain formulas you can use to get people to certain levels of alcohol um, impairment. We actually quickly realised that those formulas didn't quite work, and essentially it's different for every single person. So in our study, when we were talking about getting people to a 0.08 alcohol limit, which was the previous legal alcohol limit, one of our participants, he ended up consuming almost three-quarters of a bottle of vodka to reach the previous legal alcohol limit, whereas for some of the other participants, you're talking about two or three drinks. So it varies hugely between across genders, across depending on your weight, depending how fit you are. And so it's, a really, it's really difficult to come up with a rule of thumb about how much you're safe to drink. And even for uh, the same individual, depending on their metabolism that day yeah. and, and how much sleep, sleep they've had, had yeah. uh, all of those kinds of things make, mean it's, it's, it's very difficult to come up with a safe limit based on how much alcohol. It, yeah. it really depends on how the body's metabolized it on a given occasion. I think it's certainly highlighted to me the dangers of uh, having anything to drink and getting in the car. And I think also in a party situation, it's actually really hard to monitor how many drinks you have had. If you're at a barbecue all day, you know, people offer you a drink, someone tops up your glass of wine, actually managing to keep track of how much you've had and what you've had is actually really quite difficult. So take-home message, don't drink and drive? Definitely. Don't drink and drive and decide how you're going to get home before you leave home and keep a really close track on the number of drinks you are actually consuming. And just because it's been a while since you had your last drink doesn't mean that your driving is going to be okay. Because there's that descending blood alcohol thing where you're worse as you're coming off it. Yes, and that's how most people drink. If you go out, if you go out in the evening, you might get to the bar and you'll have a couple of glasses of wine and think, right, I'm going to stop now because I'm going to drive home. It doesn't necessarily mean that your driving is actually going to be that much better Mm -hmm. because essentially your body will have got used to the alcohol and your driving will still be impaired even a couple of hours later. So there you have it, folks. A special Our Changing World public safety announcement courtesy of Nicholas Starkey and Samuel Charlton from the University of Waikato, reminding us that alcohol and cars really don't mix well. Cheers, everyone. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on December the 14th, 2017. You can find us on the web at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. We're on Twitter and Facebook as RNZ Science. It's easy to subscribe to our podcasts. We are RNZ Our Changing World on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Radio Public and the RNZ app. And if you've got a moment, please rate and review us. Thanks heaps. Another podcast you might like is RNZ's Pants on Fire, the Fibber's Guide to Lies, Liars and Lying. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Matewa.